This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Roddy takes the snap. He'll look to the right side. He's throwing deep again, going to the end zone, up in the air. Touchdown, Eskimos! Adarius Bowman! Hey, that's three! From Carpat and Finland, Jesse Pugujarvi. He takes the snap, and J.C. Sherritt goes over the top. The Eskimo defense has done it! Eskimos win the football game! It is short! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now... Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chet. Well, the Eskimos are right back to work after another overtime thriller. My goodness, how did you enjoy that one on Friday night against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Back and forth they went. Are they going to top it Thursday in Winnipeg? Of course, that game will be on 6.30, Chet, 5 o'clock for the pregame show, 6.30 for the kickoff. A lot of Eskimo stuff to get through today. Some players uh, released, some injuries, some new guys coming in, and of course, we'll touch on some of the thrills and spills from a night to remember on Friday. Plus, City Hall today, home to the announcement for the 65-member Athletics Canada team, going to compete in track and field at the Olympics in Rio in less than a month. We'll hear from some of the members of that team as we roll through tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on 630 Ched. Of course, you can always reach us by phone, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Get me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, and you can email inside sports at 630ched.com. The studio producer this evening is the one and only Matthew Panasha. Hey, Matthew, how are you doing? Great, Reed. How are you? Good. How did you enjoy the game on Friday? Oh, what a thriller, Reed. I mean, that was... Now, you were there, weren't you? I can't remember. Yes, I was. And did you did you stay till the very end? Yes, I mean, I some did. people, the people that left early, I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, maybe their hearts couldn't take it. But, I mean, some people left when the Eskimos looked like they were still probably going to win. And uh, some other people started leaving when Saskatchewan went up with, uh, what, 19 seconds left. But that was one of the most topsy-turvy. And here's the thing. There are things that happen in this game, in that game, huge plays, or like tense plays that we're not even talking about. We've got the Joe McKnight fumbles, you know, those are things, the plays at the end of the game, the field goals, the long touchdowns. People are talking about those plays. What about John White? He f- Remember when John White fumbled in overtime? Could have cost the Eskimos the game. I listened to like an hour of the points after show. It wasn't even brought up because there was so much other stuff to get to. Uh, you can give me your Eskimos thoughts. we got some open line time, and, and we'll do some Eskimo stuff off the top here. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Certainly the, the secondary remains a concern, though they, they pulled it together for most of the second half. Uh, we're going to talk later on about some of the slow starts by the green and gold. Here's the thing this season. In the first quarter, in their two games this year, so in the two first quarters, the Eskimos have scored a grand total 
a grand total of one point. None against the Rough Riders, one against the Ottawa Red Blacks. It, it, it is an offense for whatever reason, and, and it was like this at times last year too, that seems to refuse to score points early in games. They had a chance in the first quarter against Saskatchewan, and, and Riley, who had two or three bad throws in the first half, I thought he was really good overall, and you know Riley's always going to fight and bounce back, but he threw that interception behind Darrell Walker, got picked, that took points off the board, so it's something the team's going to have to work on, and we're, and we're going to get to that. But what can you say about that drive at the end of the game? The Eskimos get the ball back. The kickoff's with 19 seconds. They scrimmage with 13 seconds left. And they get two passes, and they get it within range for a long Sean White field goal try. This one from 51 to tie it. Ball is up, and it is through. Sean White has done it again. He had to wait 60 minutes for a field goal attempt. He waited patiently and then nailed it from 51 yards. It's a tie game. We're going to overtime for the second straight game. And, of course, the Eskimos would pull out all the things that had to happen, too, for that game to be tied. It was 36-36 going into overtime. The Eskimos had five touchdowns on a field goal, but they missed two converts, right, Matthew? They they failed on a two-point try when they tried to go up by three instead of two, and they had a extra point blocked when they were up 14, which you thought at that point, well, that doesn't mean very much. And the Riders had, what, four touchdowns and three field goals, but they missed an extra point that went wide to get right on the number 36. But Sean White, the hero, and what a last 12 months it's been for Sean White. He almost stepped away from the game. Morley Scott talked to him at practice today. These opportunities don't come that often. Like, so I've, I played in Montreal for four years and was a starter there. And I think I've ever, ever had like two game-winning opportunities. So to have four in less than half a season, really. Like I was a half a season last year couple games in already so it's pretty crazy how that happens but I got to make the best of the opportunities and uh, to get these opportunities is great for me and it'll definitely prolong my career <laughs> as long as I keep making them right yeah, yeah absolutely think about tell me where you were a year ago a year ago I was gonna retire I was in Montreal I got released oh no a year ago today I'd be in Montreal as a backup right now yeah. and then you were released and then you were talking retirement yeah then uh, I was kind of just fed up I wasn't having fun anymore and uh, then I came to a good organization with a team that treats you well and media treats you well and everything around me is, is just really good and that's the big part of my success. So you're having fun again? I love it again and uh, so I, uh, I had a really awesome off season. I was rejuvenated and uh, determined to get my body right and uh, I did that and I, I'm probably, I think I'm kicking the ball harder than I've ever kicked it so uh, I feel great and I feel great where I am. How does a, I mean you're not a big guy. Like, but you get some power behind those kicks. I mean, you had a 53-yarder last year. You had a 51 this year. You've hit from the high 40s. How does a little guy get so much power behind kicks? Uh, it's technique. So uh, I've worked with Don Sweet for a long time uh, when I was developed with the BC Lions. And uh, a lot of it is technique. And um, and I train a lot. And I, I cross-train. I play a lot, many sports. And 
I've just always been known for my kicking ability in soccer as well. I don't know where it comes from. I guess it runs in my family. It's I come from a family of athletes, football pl- or soccer and rugby players I kicked. So uh, my brother also, when I was a little kid, always had me kicking a ball. So I was always competing against him, and he was 15 years older than me. So I don't know. It just happens. I have no idea why this is happening. <laughs> and I know you you play men's hockey in the offseason, right? Yeah, I play a lot of hockey. I play drop-in with, uh, with a couple teams uh, or a couple – buddies or a couple times a week and then I spare for a couple teams so and you're a goalie right? I play I play goalie but uh, I've been trying to stay away from that just for the my growings to take a beating but uh, my growing but uh, so yeah I'm a, I, I, I want to get more exercise so I play out now a lot more and uh, get get in some more skating you know I was going to say, the kick saves must be great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still got it, though. But uh, I do play goalie once in a while if, if we really desperately need a goalie, but I try to stay away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, now, you're going back to Winnipeg this week. The site of uh, one of your best kicks, maybe your best kick as a pro, was on the walk-off for 53 yeah. yards. And then uh, you had a tough day in the Grey Cup. Right? Yeah, it was a tough one. Uh, that's the way she goes. But I try to forget about that. But, uh, you know, I take it one game at a time, and uh, I can't think about what happened last year. I can't think about what happened last week. I just got to make my kicks when I get my opportunities and uh, help the team the best I can. That's the whole key to a kicker, isn't it? Just to have that short, shortest memory as possible. Well, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of dumb, so that helps. So, <laughs> so, so you got a career in the media coming up after. Oh yeah, perfect. I'll be working with you, bud. <laughs> dumb and dumber. <laughs> okay, hair. <laughs> uh, I, I guess now you just, you just, you seem to be in a groove, so you just, just let it go, right? Just keep going. Yeah, just keep going, and uh, you know, just every day is uh, me, Kinger, and Jordan. We, we want to be perfect. Every Every day when we miss, we, we correct it, and we uh, again we forget and move on. So it's just every day we make our kicks, and uh, everything's the same. All right, that is Sean White with Morley Scott, or as Sean White thought he was known until earlier this season, Scott Morley. Did you know that, Matthew? Sean White, until a few weeks ago, thought Morley Scott's name was Scott Morley, and he always called him Scott. And Morley just thought, oh, he keeps calling me by my last name for whatever reason. And this is Sean White, who was in with Morley for a full hour on the Eskimo show last season and still thought his name was Scott Morley. But he's been making the big kicks for the green and gold. He did struggle a bit in the Grey Cup, but he made that big kick in Winnipeg uh, during the regular season last year for the win. Interesting start to the Eskimos season. I know there are a lot of concerns about the secondary. Those are certainly well-founded. We'll see where they go. We'll keep talking about them. The phone lines are open, 780-496-0063. You're also going to hear from head coach Jason Moss, defensive coordinator Mike Benavides, and offensive lineman DeAnthony Batiste is going to address those poor first quarters. As we roll along, it's 616 Inside Sports on 630 Chat. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Talbot. Inside Sports on Chet at 619. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Morley Scott has the Eskimos show from 8 to 9. Some Eskimos notes today. Alex Hoffman Ellis, the linebacker they acquired in a trade last week. Bicep injury. He's out three to four months. The Eskimos have signed... 
international linebacker Donnie Bay Bags. He played at Texas A&M from 2011 to 2014. Quarterback Thomas DeMarco, he has been released by the Green and Gold. Defensive lineman Cedric McKinley traded to the Rough Riders for an eighth-round pick. They also swapped negotiation list players. Edmontonian Andrew Johnson, who was cut after training camp, has been re-signed by the Eskimos. He goes to the practice roster. And of note, Joe McKnight, a couple of costly fumbles on kick returns on Friday. He uh, has been put on the practice roster. He will not play against Winnipeg. Kenzel Doe will be back in, and he'll be running back kicks against the Blue Bombers. 5, uh, 5 p.m. For the pregame show on Thursday, the game will start at 6.30. All right, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. I'm pleased to welcome Matt back to Inside Sports. Matt, what's on your mind, buddy? Hey, Reed, can you hear me good? I got you great. Did I just missed the last part there. Did you say Joe McKnight went to practice roster? Yes. Oh, because he did not have a very good game against the Rough Riders. I think it was, what, two fumbles? And then the one fumble brought the Riders right back into the game. Right. Yeah, well, that was his. Yeah. F- after his fumble with about eight minutes left, the Eskimos only ran five offensive plays. That's right. Because Saskatchewan scored, they got a short kick, they got a field goal, uh, then the Eskimos went two and out, and then they got the ball back at the end and got those two gains and then, and then the field goal. And by the way, Matt, the Eskimos did a poor job of either not anticipating or not defending the short kick. You know what? Honestly, it it just makes you want to bang your head up against a plywood wall sometimes. I think the Eskimos are oh in a million in in defending an onside kick. Like it's, I can remember in the O2 Grey Cup, Montreal ran one back. But back to the original story there. I think McKnight got benched, and in came Cord Parks and Greg Morris. Yes, to return kicks after that, and they had some positive yardage yardage as well. But the Eskimos have to survive. Terrible starts early on. And I don't know what it is with this year because last year was almost the complete opposite. But I'm looking at some of the stats right now. The Eskimos, three turnovers. Saskatchewan, four turnovers. Two of them, I think, were on short yardage. Mm -hmm. Uh, If Saskatchewan don't have four turnovers, they win the game. If Darian Durant, on the final play in overtime, puts the ball up, they win. Now, for people that aren't familiar with with what I'm talking about when he pushes forward he had the ball angled down which basically put the ball in the wrong spot I honestly do believe that little complexity change with Darian Durant right there would have got them the first down possibly causing the Eskimos to lose the game but you know he had hands like mayonnaise and uh, he put the ball he put the ball down instead of up but you know my theory to all of this is that when you change over your entire coaching staff, it's still going to take a couple of games to get everything back into order. So are we in panic mode? We're one and one, but are we in panic mode? No. If we have the same result against Winnipeg where we're up and then they start coming back, or if we have like just terrible start again, that's when you got to look and be like, hey, Benavides, like, what's going on here? Because the defense has allowed, I think, 86 points against us in the last two games, and I can't remember off the top of my, off the top of my head how much yardage you gained, but it's a complete stark contrast to what Eskimo fans have been used to under Chris Jones for the last two years. They've been outscored 81-76 in two games that obviously 81. both went to... That doesn't sound right. Shouldn't it be a small... Oh, no, because Ottawa got eight in, in overtime. Uh, there are there are plenty of problems with this team. Um, I, I'm not in panic mode. I'm a little worried about the secondary. 
Here, here's the thing, Matt. They were dropping eight guys most of the game, which means you're not going to get as many sacks because it's hard to rush four against five, no matter how good your D-line is. And they were dropping eight, and for most of the game, especially in the first half, Saskatchewan was still able to complete a lot of big passes. So something's going to have to be figured out either personnel-wise or schematically. I don't know if guys are just in the wrong zones, if they're not angled right, or if they just are that bad covering one-on-one when it comes down to it. And I mean, Baloo, he got better as the game went on, and the, the, the one touchdown late in the first half, I mean, he tipped it. He knocked the ball away. That's what you're supposed to do. The Saskatchewan guy, Collins, just did a great job adapting to it. You couldn't. Okay, he he couldn't catch that ball again if his life depended on it. So I chalked that one up to just a complete fluke play. But you're right. I do not think that our DBs are bad in any which way whatsoever. But I do agree with you that I think systematically what Benavides has them doing, I think you're going to see a completely different game plan against Winnipeg. And almost because, and I hate to say it, in going into game three now, they're almost forced to basically change their whole defensive game plan now. Because, like I said, I can't, I can't remember what the exact stats were, but we got lit up for 37 against Ottawa, and now I, can't just, I just can't remember the final score against Saskatchewan. 39-36. Yeah, but, I mean, Saskatchewan, 36 against Saskatchewan, and then what was it here? We were up... Uh, they were up 19-7 to in the first half. We come back for 25 straight, makes it 33-19. Then all of a sudden, it's 16 unanswered points by the Riders. It's like, what are we doing, you guys? This is Saskatchewan. This is a team that's been a complete dumpster fire over the offseason. They're rebuilding from scratch, and then now the defending Grey Cup champions, which, which essentially, other than your defense, has the exact same offense, and we're putting up 37 on Ottawa and now 36 against... The riders, like uh, boys, like I'm, I'm not in panic mode yet. But this, this game against Winnipeg is a statement game at Game Three. Yeah, that's fair, and I, I don't think Winnipeg's very good. I know they had some good numbers against uh, Hamilton, and Willie had some good numbers, but I think you can get to him. And I think, yeah, I mean, if I were to rank the quarterbacks, Willie's ninth out of nine starters, quite frankly. Um, I mean, I, I guess I, maybe him and Mazzoli might be a top up, but he's toss up, but he's certainly not as good as, as Caleros, and he's getting closer to coming back. Matt, I got to wrap soon. You got anything else? Uh, I just basically want to say that it, that I mean, the offense has no problems. Yeah, sure, there's little things you want to change here and there, but I mean, Mike Mike Riley's numbers and Adarius Bowman's numbers are absolutely just through the roof. One thing I did notice though is Getzlaff at number five receiver was open almost the entire game, but I understand that you can't want to do those. Ricky Ray old eight yard slants out all game, but we were noticing from up there and we're shouting, we're like, get left, he's right there, bud. And then they would, but yeah, you know what? Winnipeg, we should beat them. I got, if we don't beat them, then uh, you're going to hear a whole, lo- a whole different tone of the phone call next week. But, uh, <laughs> oh, and everybody buy your tickets for the July 23rd game against the Ticats. That's also my birthday. So, oh, well, around, Reed. happy birthday in advance. Matt, good to hear from you. Peace. That is Matt, 780-496-0063. You can also text us at uh, 630-630. Uh, so the uh, Eskimos trading Cedric McKinley to the Riders. He's a deed lineman for an eighth-round pick. They also released quarterback Thomas DeMarco, who I thought looked pretty good in the preseason, had a relationship with Jason Moss because they were both in Ottawa last season. Coach Moss talking about DeMarco and that trade. I mean, we didn't uh, want to do that. You know, we didn't expect to keep four on our roster, but, you know, with uh, some stuff that happened with James, 
games early, you know, in camp or out at the end of camp there, you know, we were forced to, you know, keep four. Uh, it was a tough decision. You know, I, I think very highly of Thomas. I think Thomas is a great quarterback, uh, picked up our offense. He knows our offense. Um, you know, I wish him nothing but the best, uh, but it is a hard decision to, to move on. But I am excited about the guys that we do have here and have the utmost confidence that they'll get the job done. McKinley to Saskatchewan. Those guys, it looks like they're starting to pile up players off of last year's roster. Yeah, I mean, it's com I'm sure it's comfortability. They know the players that were here. They had a lot of success with the players that were here, so um, they had a need. Um, we, you know, we felt good about the depth we have here in order to do that. I wish nothing but best for Cedric. I mean, he was a great uh, player here. Um, gave us everything he had. Um, I'm excited for him to get an opportunity there um, with people that do know him and, and, and do like him. So, um, you know, that's just what it is. All right, head coach Jason Moss, a little more Eskimo talk as we move along. The Olympic track and field team unveiled downtown today. We'll delve into that too. Inside Sports on Chet. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Hey, a little kiss. We have a commercial there that Kiss is playing tomorrow at Rexall Place. Are you going, Matthew? No, I've seen them before. I wish I could see them is again. Is Kellen going? Kellen must be yes, going. Yes, Kellen, that's who's going. Kellen Kennedy's a huge Kiss fan. I love Kiss. Saw them in 97 with my mom at the Coliseum. Makeup or no makeup? With makeup. They were back in the makeup then. And pyrotechnics, and it was quite the crazy show. Because they had uh, a phase of their career, right, where they were without makeup, correct? They went makeup, and then they did some albums, no makeup, right? And then they went back to the makeup. Is that not true? I'm pretty, I do I'm pretty sure. I do believe so. Pretty You're sure right. For a while, they 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 look like real people, which they shouldn't because they're kiss. They're kiss. They are not real people. No, they're not. Absolutely That's not. That's their slogan. Kiss, not real people. Great slogan for a band. <laughs> it's not <laughs> real people. That should be the new of a band. That's name That's actually or a good bad name. Not yeah. real people. That could be our <laughs> band. Okay, everybody, you can't use that. Matthew and I just copyrighted. Just like the presidents of the United States of America. That's a great band it's, name. It's our intellectual property. Not real people. Seven zero four nine six zero zero six three. Want to catch up on some uh, some other stuff? Some stories we were following. Last week, Canada and China playing in that Edmonton Grads Classic at the Savile Centre, the three-game series, getting ready for the Olympics. Canada ranked number nine in the world. China ranked number eight. They have played two games. They'll close it out at 7 o'clock tonight if you won tickets from us. I hope you have fun. So Canada won 82-63 on Saturday. I went to the game last night. Canada won 74-62. Close game. Canada pulled away in the final six minutes to win by 12. The uh, Edmonton girls, Michelle Plouffe last night, two points and three rebounds. Catherine Plouffe, good game, nine points and five rebounds. As we look at your scoreboard, courtesy of Crystal Glass, for all your glass needs, you can visit three, uh, you can call uh, or you can check them out online, sorry, crystalglass.ca. So Canada will try to sweep that three-game set tonight. FC Edmonton beating Fort Lauderdale 1-0. Yesterday afternoon, Daryl Fordyce had the only goal as they start their fall season in the North American Soccer League. Next up, Sunday, 2 p.m., another home game for the Eddies. That will be against the Ottawa Fury. Of course, Portugal winning Euro in extra time, 1-0 over host France. We'll uh, talk a little bit about that later on with huge Portuguese supporter Kevin Jesus. 
Hey, Matthew Panashik, we have the rare opportunity here to educate somebody. Ooh. I, I don't know if education in this show often mentioned in the same breath. But we have a texter who says, Hey, Reed, what do you mean by secondary? I'm not familiar with football. Thanks. The secondary is are, are the defensive backs. So with I can't drop the diagram for you but on, on radio, but you have the defensive linemen, which are the guys that are lined up right along the line of scrimmage. And then the guys that are kind of right behind them are the linebackers, and they can kind of stop the run or the pass. And then the other five guys are the defensive backs, and that's the, that's the secondary. So they're generally the guys who are trying to stop the other team's passing attack, right? I mean, sure, sometimes they'll help with the run, but generally their job is to cover receivers and to stop passes. That would be the secondary. Did I explain that adequately? It would be the best if I could just draw a diagram. Beautifully done. I couldn't have done it better. <laughs> beautifully done. Well, beautiful and me often mentioned in the same sentence. Uh, all right, you can text 630-630, the phone number is 780-496-0063. Oh, I forgot to mention this on our Crystal Glass scoreboard. The BC Junior Canucks won the Brick Invitational at the Ice Palace at West Edmonton Mall. Uh, they didn't lose the game the whole week. They beat Tim, Team Minnesota 5-1 in the championship game yesterday afternoon. Uh, great job organizing that tournament. All the volunteers do a great job. And, uh, yeah, so there we go. The BC Junior Canucks get the win. The Eskimos in their last 12 games, including playoffs, are 11-1. They are 11-1. Seven of those games, they have won by seven points or less. Their most lopsided win over those last dozen was an 18-point win over Montreal. Remember, it was the last game of the regular season. It was in Week 19 because the Eskimos had a Week 20 bye. Uh, They clinched the first place in the West Division. They won the game 40-22, so that was their most lopsided game, but they were actually trailing 22-19 going to the third quarter. This is a team that has played tense games for the last year, basically. Uh, three of those last 12 games have gone to overtime. They're 2-1 in those games. It's been pretty incredible. Offensive lineman DeAnthony Batiste was talking to, with Dave Campbell about trying to start games a little better, get some points on the board. Uh, well, you know what? We're just trying to get better every week. Uh, you know, we did things uh, differently day one. You know, we definitely uh, did a, a, four, you know, a few competition reps on day one, which uh, we hadn't done uh, a couple of weeks prior. So, you know, trying to move in the right direction, trying to change a few things up just so we can start fast. You know, uh, penalties definitely hurt us whenever we're trying to start fast, and we got to cut those out. So if we focus on just not making the pre-snap penalties, we can definitely mm-hmm. start fast and not shoot our own selves in the foot. So get out of your own lane. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Can't beat ourselves. Right. So, you talked about changing things up in practice. Your coach changing things up in practice. Is, mm-hmm. is that still a work in progress too? Getting used to what the coach is asking you to do, the tempo he's asking you to perform at, because uh, it, it's still a lot new here. Yeah. Well. I think one of the things is that's just his mentality. He wants to be an offense that starts fast, and I think that's something that we definitely uh, were, you know, prior. Uh, definitely we never want to shoot ourselves in the foot and have penalties, mm-hmm. but him being an offensive guy, he definitely emphasizes all of the small things on offense. Mm-hmm. So uh, him being an offensive-minded head coach, he definitely focused on little things, not shooting ourselves in the foot, pre-snap penalties, uh, no missed assignments, and then that way you can start fast. So as long as you're not stopping yourself, we just can't stop ourselves. Going to Winnipeg, uh, first road game of the season. Uh, that's not an easy place to play. That's that's a loud uh, environment. So um, tell me about just the preparedness and getting ready for the first road game of the season. 
and then going to a tough place? Well, being a team that uh, actually has a good memory coming from that city uh, as of last year, uh, we definitely feel like we left a good vibe and a good aura there, but at the same time, uh, it's a loud place to play. Yeah. So uh, we have to be on top of our communication, make sure we're making our calls loud, and it being our first away game, um, just making sure that we're up to the task and ready for the challenge as a team because uh, the tough games are winning the road games. Mm -hmm. So if we can be mentally prepared and we pulled out, you know, we had two overtime games that definitely will test the will of a team, um, I think we'll definitely be prepared for going into a hostile environment like Winnipeg. All right, that is the Anthony Batiste. And, yes, it would, it would be nice to see the offense do a little bit more early in games, maybe take some pressure off. It was certainly exciting on Friday. It was it was certainly exciting, but but you would hope that they're they're not relying on uh, big comebacks and and big plays all the time. He'll look to the right side. He's throwing deep again, going to the end zone, up in the air. Touchdown, Eskimos! A Darius Bowman. Hey, that's three. Darius Bowman, three touchdowns against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, Dave also spoke with defensive coordinator, assistant coach Mike Benavides about the Eskimos trying to develop. Some killer instinct here. Put games away when they have a chance. We're a lot better, made less mistakes, played exactly like we wanted to. Other than the first drive, uh, the guys did a nice job buckling down. But once again, when he got to 8 minutes and 43, you know, with the double possessions that they had, we stood up to one, but we didn't stand up to both. And as I told them, you know, sudden change, we have to stand up and protect our team. Maybe give three, but not seven. And we did that three times, but two times we didn't. So um, we've made strides, and, and fortunately we got a win, and they got the big two turnovers on third down. But, you know, we need to improve again this week, and that's what I want to see. I saw some of that from week one to two. Now it's got to be even greater between week two and three. JC talked about on a postgame show to us, uh, we just got to develop that killer instinct. Tell me about the process of, of developing that. Yeah. It just doesn't show up. No, that's exactly what I talked about today in the meeting, and uh, JC and I are on the same page, and really, that's a mindset. If you look at the definition, it really talks about wanting to do whatever it takes by any means necessary to win, and I think that comes with a little bit with you know some young guys getting more comfortable underneath their skin, not being intimidated by either the opponent or the situation or how big the situation is. And I think the other thing is them getting to know each other a little bit. So um, every man's got to have that within him, and that's what the game of football is about, is about having that killing instinct and making sure that when the scoreboard shows 33-19, mm -hmm. as a football team, you take their heart out. Take their heart out. I like that. Step on them. Beat them while they're down. The Eskimos were on the verge of doing that, and the McKnight fumble changed everything, setting off a wild series of events that saw Saskatchewan score 17 in a row. The Eskimos tied on that white kick with no time left and then win it in overtime on the uh, dramatic third-and-one stuff. And i got to say this. If anything, Matthew, Saskatchewan got a generous spot on that play. Durant didn't get much of a push. As uh, Matt, who called in, alluded to, he was holding the ball too low down on his body. J.C. Sherritt jumped over the top and seized the ball and held it back. When you watch that and you see the pile and where the ball is, he's he got a, he got a generous spot, quite frankly. He got, he got a generous spot on that play. And the, the Riders botched two third and, well, that was third and one. They had one earlier. Well, was that even half a yard? They needed to get when Durant just flat out dropped the ball. So, so many plays changed the momentum. Just just a, a wild, heart-stopping game. Uh, would have been a gut punch. Would have been a complete gut punch for the Eskimos to lose that. 
and drop to 0-2, but they're able to pull it out. 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. Here's what we're going to do. i got a little uh, Oilers talk coming up after the break, and we'll get to uh, members of the Canadian Olympic track and field team as we move along. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. Well, quiet time now for the Edmonton Oilers after that flurry of activity around the draft and free agency and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about some uh, some observations here about uh, about what Oilers fans have been experiencing. About Matthew Panashik on the other side of the window is our studio producer this evening. Now, you were, we were we were talking during the commercial break, and this is the great this is the great thing about football is that probably more than any other sport, maybe baseball lends itself to it too. But I mean, but I mean the the coaching decisions are so black and white often and the, re- the I guess the results of the coaching decisions are so black and white and you can so easily debate option A or option B certainly the most famous one in mes- recent memory the Super Bowl of a couple of years ago Seattle gets down to the one they got a really good running back Marshawn Lynch who is now retired and they decide to pass and it gets intercepted and they and they lose right and that's the most famous decision certainly Chris Jones was faced with a decision there for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They were, they were on the Edmonton 26, so we're talking a 33-34 yard field goal, right? You kick that, you tie the game, you go first in the next overtime, and, and you see what happens, right? You don't make it, and, and you lose on that play. What I mean, I, I personally, I'm, I, I, if I'm the coach, Matthew, I go for that every time. I, I know they've had trouble on third down this year and, and earlier in that game, but I'm thinking my O-line should be able to get me, and my experienced quarterback, who didn't carry the ball in the right spot, should be able to get me a yard. Should, and when the Eskimos on third down in that game, I mean, Riley was getting two, three yards on his quarterback sneaks. They went for it on a third and two, and John White got five or six yards. I'm I'm fine with now. I'm saying this from the perspective of an Edmonton guy, but from a pure looking at it objectively from the coaching decision, I'm fine with Jones going for it there. I think you got to say we can get a yard and try to advance for the winning touchdown. I I, I agree, disagree with you. I think you know the way that Saskatchewan was going with their third and ones in, in, in the game, that they definitely should have kicked the field goal read to send it to overtime again. And if he misses, he misses. But at least you say, well, at least we try to get it to another overtime, give our defense the chance to make a stop, and uh, see what the offense could do if the Eskimos got a field goal. Perhaps they could have got a touchdown on the play, right? So, I mean, I just think I just really think he should have kicked the field goal there. All right. I was surprised he didn't at that at the game. By the way, you you thought they were running the kicker out eh? and surprised. saying, "Okay, like we had, let's settle it down." We had the, you know, we we roared back. We had, we blew it in the last twenty seconds. We at least held them to a field goal. Let's just tie it and then and let's see if we can win it in the second overtime. Exactly right. Now the other thing we talked about in the commercial break read was, and I said this: How livid would Eskimos fans be if if Chris Jones was the Eskimos coach in this situation, and they missed the third one? Do you think the Eskimos fans would have been liking on on points after show? Hey, well, let's kick. Let's let's. Why didn't we kick the field goal for? Well, what happened? Remember that game you and me watched? It was just, that was Trisha oh, Kindleman's yeah. goodbye party. You, me, and Brendan Ulrich watched the game. Were we at a Boston Pizza or a Hudson's or something? We were at the Brew House. At the Brew House oh, down Ellersley. Ellersley Brew House, and they lost to BC, 
and it would have been a long field goal. White was not on the team yet. Yep. Uh, and they and they lost to BC and Nichols threw an interception right at the end of the game. And they they and they went for it on third down and the field goal would have been around fifty. I didn't realize we were going to talk about this, so I would have looked it up. And people were mad then. And I thought just kick the field goal. I Let your agree. kicker kick the field goal. You might you know you, you there was too much to risk. But in that situation, I mean they had it was only a yard to go. In in the CFL. You should be able to get that yard. And I credit the Eskimos' defensive line. I credit Sherritt for what he did. But if you don't convert a quarterback sneak, I think the biggest factor in that play is a failure on the part of the offense. I, I really do. I don't think that's a, that's, I don't think that's a coach putting your team at a – I mean, look, if, see, if, he, if it's third three and he goes for it and they call a conservative running play and gets stuffed, then I'm thinking, why, why didn't you kick? But, I mean, it was third and a yard. You, sh- you should be able to get it. But you would have said, you would have read the tea leaves of that game, the rhythm of that game, and said, let's just prolong it and give ourselves another chance. Exactly. Assuming he makes the kick. Yeah. The guy it- misses the kick, then we're all saying, well, it was third and one. Why not just go out and get it? Listen, I know it's a 33-yard field goal. You should make that probably 9.5 out of 10 times if you're a kicker. If, you're, if you miss a 33-yard field goal, you're probably likely going to be getting your pink slip, buddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I would have sent out the field goal unit, but you disagree with me, so we agree to disagree on this issue. Jonathan says, Reed, I didn't watch the game, but I'm of the opinion that any professional football offensive line and fullback should be able to get you two yards per carry in a line plunge. If you don't, it's not a matter of good defense as much as really poor offense. That is uh, coming in on the text line from Jonathan. Yeah, well, interesting discussion. I'm just glad we're on the, the, the winning side. <laughs> the Eskimos were on the winning side of uh, of this discussion. Because, look, the Eskimos were, I, I brought this up with Matt, the, you've got to be prepared for that short kick. I mean, you can't just treat it like a normal kick. I realize you might be sacrificing return yards. Have a couple of guys up. Don't, or tell them not to fade back until they're sure the ball is kicked deep. And uh, another thing, I got to double check. Uh, was it Hoffman? Not or not Hoffman? Um, hang on. Uh, oh, sorry, Parrish. Doug Parrish, the linebacker, is right there and could have grabbed the ball, and he just let it go out of bounds. So I don't know if he wasn't sure of the rule or if he wasn't sure if the Saskatchewan player had touched it. But it was bad preparation and then and then bad execution by Parrish to just not grab the ball on that short kick. Right, I mean, all he had to do was tap it out of bounds. All the Saskatchewan guy had done it, had tipped it in the air. So, you know, the Eskimos got to be better prepared, and that's what I—that's often what I talk about. With, with, I mean, this this show is a lot on the Edmonton Oilers and a lot on the Edmonton Eskimos. The Edmonton Oilers generally have not been a detailed team. Last season, the Edmonton Eskimos were a detailed team, and they did the right thing when it mattered in games. This year's Eskimos team, not as detailed. Now, maybe they're still finding their way. Well, they are still finding their ways in some areas. But to me, that short, cl- that short kickoff and how the Eskimos didn't react to it properly or be prepared for it properly is a, is a detail that was lacking. Because, A, you should have seven guys up on the line, right? And then you, the, you guys have to know the rules. If the ball's in front of you, just whap it out of bounds. Just tip it out of bounds, and, and, and the Eskimos get the ball. Jerry says, uh, Oilers question here, do you think Darnell Nurse is going to take the next step and be more of a force and play like 
Uh, he did in the World Championship. Must mean the World Juniors, eh? Plus, I don't think sending him down to the AHL is going to help him that much. Actually, did Nurse didn't play in the World Championship, did he? No. It was just Hall, McDavid, and Talbot that went over. Uh, anyway, I don't think sending him down to the AHL is going to help him that much. Consider he played decent for the whole year. What do you think? Thanks, Jerry. I think Darnell Nurse is going to be an Edmonton Oiler. I think it would have been great if he could have spent all of last season in the American Hockey League. The injury situation and the lack of depth on the Oilers' defense meant that he had to be here. And I think he will continue to develop this season, and I think he'll be a good NHL defenseman. I, I still think the Oilers are going to have challenges defensemen, uh, defensively, though I do think Larson will help. Look, and here's, here's the thing that, I, that, Jerry, I want you to remember, and I want everybody else to remember. A lot of players over the recent years, Dreisaitl and Nurse, perhaps the prime two examples, have made the Edmonton Oilers because there has been no one better to beat them out. And when we're talking about Peter Shirelli reshaping this roster, we're not just talking about the NHL level. I think we're talking about the AHL level as well. Because this is a team that does not have enough depth on the farm. It doesn't have enough guys who can kind of fill in. You know, like it'd be nice to have, you know, your top six guys on the farm who could come up and be solid pros. So you're not calling up Darnell Nurse. Darnell Nurse was going to be in the NHL this season. The thing was that, that he spent too much time in the NHL this past season. And, and I ask you, who would have done better up from the farm for that length of time? Probably not Osterley. You know, probably not. Who, you may pick a guy. Museal, Hunt. I mean, so you were kind of stuck going with Darnell Nurse. I think the experience was valuable. I think he showed very well at times. I think he looked like an inexperienced player at times. But we're talking about what Shirelli has to do he has to fix everything about this team, and I think that's probably part of the reason why he held on to all nine draft picks at this year's draft instead of trading them is because he needs to start building the depth and and having guys who can develop and be suitable minor leaguers as well and then replace decent replacement-level NHLers. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about the uh, Oilers' defense as we move along. You can text 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. We will also hear from some newly minted Olympians as we move along. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.